0: Today, I welcome Matthew Burke, Headmaster at St. Edward's in Cheltenham in the United Kingdom. In this episode, I discuss community engagement, future skills, exam reform, and the importance of work experience. Firstly, thanks ever so much. I know as a head of an independent school at times like this, you are very stretched trying to balance so many different stakeholders and interests and keep a school open to educate these students to be able to deliver the results that you want. So thank you and welcome.
1: No, an absolute pleasure and a joy to be here and actually taking time out of what we're normally doing to talk is actually quite good. Hey, my
0: pleasure. You've had quite an eclectic career in some ways: academic, pastoral leadership, headships, housemaster, and even a foray into consulting. How do you feel that this range of experiences has helped you throughout your career?
1: As you work your way through in the area of education, it's good to have an idea of the jobs, the roles that everyone in a school does. And I think actually, when you make those moves up to senior leadership, whether it's an assistant head, deputy head, principal. It's good for the staff to know that you've been where they are. It's good for them to know that you appreciate what they're doing, the the demands on their time. You know, for me personally, I still teach. Um, I teach half the A-level course here at St. Edwards. So I teach them year nine philosophy. And I think that's important as well. I think it's important for the students to see that there's a head who teaches. It's important for the staff to know the things I'm asking them to do in their lessons, in reports, and in every aspect of the academic life. I'm doing them myself as well. That kind of idea of being a role model is obviously something that stayed with me wherever I've been in terms of my work. I think, you know, you're a role model initially to those students as a head of department, to the members of your department, as a senior leader to the other staff and students within the school. And I think there's a lot to be said for, for walking the walk and talking the talk.
0: Yeah, that's no, fantastic. And it's great that you do get back in the classroom. And obviously yeah. it's all start in the classroom. You're kind of brought into education because you want to to lead and inspire these young men and women. As you kind of move up the tree, sometimes you kind of lose that, lose that connection <laughs> because you end up being a leader and an administrator, an HR person, and you, you, you kind of lose some of that. So it's great to see that you find yeah. the time to go back in. And I'm sure that all your pupils really appreciate the fact that you do that. While you were with Inspired Learning Group, you obviously worked with a number of schools in very, very different circumstances. How did this influence your outlook when you started at St. Edward's
1: in April? It was an interesting opportunity, actually, uh, Inspired Learning Group, because kind of brief was very varied um, and, and quite wide ranging. And so it would be going in and supporting schools if they needed a bit of help, if there was a, an issue or a problem. We were at the stage where I was with them expanding the group. So looking at potential schools that we would purchase and um, being involved in that process and understanding where, where their strengths were and where perhaps we could add value as a, as a group to them. And actually coming into St. Edwards, it was massively beneficial. I think whether or not it would have been St. Edwards, I'm delighted to be here. But actually the experience of taking not that step back, but a a very different leadership role within a group of schools kind of gave me the insights that you don't get as a head involved in those very early decisions about whether a school is right for your group, about whether the leadership structure, the staffing structure is right for that school at that time. Having that ability to look and not just be narrowly focused on a school or a couple of schools, as you know, St. Edwards is, is the trust with a prep school and the senior school. To genuinely have the time to think back, what does work? What is good here? What can we do? And the beauty, of course, of groups is that you, you have that opportunity for shared good practice. You know, it's, it's not a case of saying, right, well, just because it's great in this school, it's going to work in this. Every school is unique. But there will be lessons that you can learn. And if I think about the type of head I am, I can see elements of teachers who taught me when I was a pupil at Prior Park. I can see um heads of department that I worked for, I can see deputy heads I work for and even heads that I worked for in me. And I think that's important, not just to be yourself, you know, to be authentic in terms of who you are you do pick up little bits and pieces here and there, things that have worked well that, that will stay with you. And also, I suppose, things that didn't work well and that you never want to have repeated again.
0: Yeah, but you have to learn to fail. And that's something that we teach our children. You know, life isn't an easy ride and there will be lots of failings that happen that make you stronger, make you more resilient, to make you better as a person to grow and adapt. Before you start a headship, I imagine you have loads of great ideas and new initiatives and projects you want to implement. You obviously joined at a time when we kind of had something called COVID-19. And what's kind of happened to your initiatives that you had probably prior to taking up the role? And where do these sit now in terms of priority based on where we are now with
1: lockdown too? I think the phrase best laid plans is probably best describes the, my introduction to St. Edward's School. I suppose the process of thinking about what you would do when you join a new school as a head begins at that moment where you think about whether you're going to make an application for that role. Because I think for me, as a head, you are the public face, you are the figure that everyone looks to, to represent that school. And so it's absolutely vital that you believe in that school, that you can articulate what's important, what's unique and what's special about that school to not just the existing parents and prospective parents, but the wider community the school sits in.
0: And landing in Um, the school in April, right when lockdown began, I mean, how did you manage to get going and ensure that the school could adapt to a new leadership i can imagine you didn't want to instill too much change at that point and obviously then lead a brand new common room and leadership you know and students
1: through this brand new world what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome the biggest challenge being entirely honest was about having those face-to-face interactions was about actually being able to talk with people not just one-on-one i'm still at the point now where i haven't been able to have a staff meeting with everybody there because of the need to socially distance. But also, you know, there will be staff who are worried, have concerns and anxieties. So we just do meetings and everything else remotely. But actually, one of the things that hopefully is a strength of mine is the ability to communicate, is the ability to have those, form those relationships. And so the biggest challenge, you know, particularly at that time joining, you know, April 4th, 2020 will be forever etched on my mind is the day I took over at St. Edward's. But it was not being able to meet parents, not being able to see the students, you know, so those year 11s and upper six, you know, although they didn't have their exams, it would have been nice to have conversations with them about what they've enjoyed, what their hopes, their aspirations were for. And yet really, I only got to see them on results day. And that's not necessarily the introduction you want or the first time you meet those students and their parents. Being able to meet prospective parents and take them round to school, have conversations, get them to see students actually in classrooms, teachers interacting with them. We've adapted well with virtual tours and and various other things as all schools have with regards to that and that's all we can do. Of course it is a frustration when you think one of the strengths of a school like St Edwards is that is its partial care, is the relationships between students and and staff and, and home and school and not really being able to demonstrate that as effectively as you can is a frustration, is something that was a significant challenge. I have to say I think as in all schools, staff stepped up to the plate massively during last term. I won't say they went from zero to 100% here, because that would be a genuine disservice to them. But they went from very little, from a technological point of view, to delivering nearly every lesson on Teams and following the timetable. And you know what? Actually, it was a blessing in disguise. Because actually our parents now are our best advocates about the educational experience that we're providing based upon last term's experience. And that will be the same for many schools up and down the country.
0: I think it was the perfect storm. I mean, it was the perfect storm. We weren't expecting it. And, you know, when your back's against the wall, you can try new things. And actually you're expected to fail because this is new and teachers aren't technologists. They're not trained in a way that gets them to understand, to deliver their passion digitally it's very alien to them. And so, you know, I know schools like yours have done an incredible job. The teachers have put in that extra work to be able to continue education, which has been at the heart of everything. You know, our kids need educating. However, connecting a teacher with a student is so important, but there's always improvements to be made. What would you say would be the one thing that you've you've kind of learned that you've changed and you're doing slightly differently since maybe April and May time?
1: I think it would inevitably revolve around the use of technology within the school. If we've had, for example, students who are having to self-isolate whilst parents are waiting for a test, they're actually dialing into the classes the staff worked out very quickly in September that there will be no such thing as a snow day anymore because they can also teach from home um, if they can't make it into school.
0: <laughs> Students are going to so be I gutted think... I mean the, the, weren't, <laughs> weren't they the best days you always look forward to it was, it was always a snow day, I remember those days so so what you're saying now is <laughs> that snow days will be no longer because technology has fixed that
1: gap <laughs> I, I, think, I think unfortunately that may well be the case, there, there may need to be some flexibility on heavy snow days to enable sledging and various other things to take place. I still remember doing those when I was at school. It's interesting. I, I was in the staff room at lunchtime today, you know, the members of staff, because we can only get 15 in there and and be safe at the time. And actually one of them said, look, I wouldn't wish this ever again, but actually it was the jolt that we needed in terms of progressing in terms of moving forward, in terms of not feeling stale and doing the same old. It was a lovely thing to hear from a member of staff, obviously not wishing to have this, a pandemic every year or something along this, but that has forced us into this. It's made us go a whole lot faster. You know, I had one of my plans was to bring a a kind of choose your own device into the school next year for September 21. How stupid would it be not to have brought that forward to this September? Because basically everyone had their devices to be able to do the remote learning last term we've introduced a way for parents here to be able to buy them interest free from us over three years it 's too much for them, and it 's been really well received but it means that every classroom now is an i t room you know you You can say right well, actually, just for five ten minutes here, research this or do this and send it to me. You can use it for online quizzes within the classroom, and you 're not having to worry it 's all there and it is nice to have that being able to be brought forward. I think one of my biggest fears around September was thinking, right, you know, we've, we've embraced technology. And then the students come back and everything is right. Everything's back into the exercise books and the folders. And we forget everything that we've learned. And in fairness, staff didn't want that. And certainly the students and parents didn't want that. And we've been able to ensure that that isn't the case.
0: I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I talk a lot about the future of education, the future school thinking on this podcast and around the world. How do you see the educational
1: landscape shifting in the next five to ten years? glossing over technology, because we've talked about that a lot. Interestingly, there's a lot of discussion at the moment around examinations, um, how they are, when they're done. I've always been a fan of making applications post-results. I think there's a lot to be said for that. The pressure of having to meet particular predicted grades or entry requirements doesn't do a lot in terms of helping managing the stress and pressure of the students at that particular time. But there's also a lot to be said for knowing what you've got, knowing that you've got those grades and therefore only applying to those that you know you're going to get offers for because you've met those entry requirements. There is a discussion to be had around the future of GCSEs with everyone having to remain in education till 18 now. Is there the need for those national assessments at 16? You know, that's, that's a conversation in its own right. But actually, I think it is worth having those conversations now because of the situation we're in, where we found last year, it's actually an opportunity to say, well, look, what is working? What isn't? Are we providing those opportunities? Is the structure right for the students? Now, we're relatively traditional um, in that we offer A-levels and not no vocational qualifications at sixth form. One of the reasons for us is that the cost is prohibitive for relatively small schools. But I think also that currency of A-level is still one that is very much appreciated, but does there need to be more done around explaining the worth of those vocational qualifications and and seeing how those fit into and could lead to careers or university entry at that point?
0: Yeah, I mean, you touched on vocations. I mean, that's heavily tied to skills-based learning and also skills with our students because you look at the future of work and you look at what employers are looking for. You know, the more I read, the more I see come out year after year. The the need for a university degree is becoming not worth but it's becoming a luxury of a very few career choices now. Companies and organisations don't care about that. They care about you, the individual. Show me you. So where does that throw universities and education? Because we're on a conveyor belt in a way to get people into universities.
1: I've certainly seen it in the last few years where I've been ahead, where you have a number of sixth formers who are are looking to go into, for example, careers in finance, where they're thinking, look, I'm just going to go straight into an apprenticeship, straight into an internship. You know what? If it goes well and I want a degree, they'll probably sponsor me in a few years' time. I think what schools need to do from a careers point of view is is genuinely be advising students on what is the appropriate course of action for them, what is necessary with regards to this. And this is actually where the role of work experience comes in. It's really important. I say to the students here, I mean, we actually arranged some virtual work experience for our year 11s last term. Work experience is just as useful if it rules out a career as much as so if it rules one in. And, you know, what? you can have your heart set. I, I was always going to be a lawyer till I was 13. I came across an outstanding history teacher who was also my housemaster and rugby coach, and he's the reason I'm a teacher. So I was lucky. I had that interaction with someone who was outstanding and did that. Now, I don't know if I would have been happy in law or not. If I'd gone down that route and hadn't had the chance of work experience and realised maybe it wasn't for me, I could have made choices at A-level, choices at university that would have put me down a very limited route that wouldn't have allowed me to do that. Now, it's a cliche, but the students that we're producing now will probably have four or five careers during their work life. If all we've done is prepared them for one, if all we've done is set their choices around A-level and GCSE with what they say at 13 they think they might like to do when they leave school or university, and actually we're failing them. Now, I say to parents here, I can guarantee you'll get great results. But actually, if that's the only thing you leave with, then we as a school have failed your children. It's not just knowing their place in society and being responsible citizens and all of those. It's actually saying, right, what can I do? What opportunities present themselves to me to mean that I can change careers in five, 10 years time, to mean that I have left doors open. You're right. That's where those soft skills come into play. I call our co-curricular program the other half, and I think there's a lot to be said in a name. And really, my, my point around that, and the staff and the parents and students are, are finally getting it and understanding me, an educational experience isn't just what goes on in the classroom. It's about the clubs, the societies you do. It's, are you in the CCF? Have you done your bronze, your silver, your gold DV? How many times have you been in the school production? You know, are you in the orchestra, the wind ensemble, the senior choir, whatever it may be? have you taken those opportunities? Schools should be, and I believe are, about being a safe place where you can try those things. You know, take yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, the fact that we're having this conversation now isn't necessarily an easy thing for me to do, but I'm getting used to doing these. I'm having to do my assemblies twice a week from my office via a camera and teams into every classroom within the school. You touched on
0: careers, um, wanting to probe a bit more around careers advice because when you kind of look at what employers are looking for and you look at actually the jobs that our kids will be doing didn't exist and won't exist. I've got real concerns that careers advice that students are getting now at schools is completely inadequate because we're not connected to actually what the real world wants. And so you know you mentioned that work experience, getting the right work experience. I was exactly the same as you. Unless I'd gone and done work experience at A level in my lower six. I would not have gone down and chosen the degree I did and got into a career, which is not what I'm in now. But it piqued my interest at a point where actually academically, I didn't know where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. But coming back to the careers library and the careers advice, what are your thoughts around careers advice in schools right now? And is it adequate?
1: I think it'll be fair to say that there's there's varying degrees of success around careers. My own view on this, and certainly what's happened at St. Martha's and, and here at St. Edward's with me, is that we have careers professional who is our head of careers you know it's not a kind of add-on job or responsibility to a teacher to either make up a timetable or to to play to their particular strengths you know i would be an atrocious careers advisor because i can only talk about education my experience is around education and obviously various roles within that but i'm not the best place to talk about careers in engineering in technology in medicine because i've not done those or i've not had experience of those and we're blessed i had a new head of careers who actually started when I started. So we both had an interesting introduction to St. Edwards. But she's brilliant. She's fantastic. What's worked well for us is actually also engaging with our parents and former pupils around the issue of careers, because they are the people working in those fields. They know what skills are required. They know what qualities are required to be successful in whatever area it is you're doing. And actually for schools, Parents do want to engage. They do want to give back. They do want to contribute. You know, I'm always flattered to be asked to go back to my old school and talk about careers. And they say, that's silly. You know, it's a school full of teachers. Well, actually, they are going to listen to someone who was where they were, not someone who's teaching them history, geography or physics, whatever it may be. It's really important that schools have as many links and build as many relationships with local businesses, with local companies, but also take advantage of their former pupils and their existing parents.
0: I completely agree. I mean, it's a network on your doorstep that come from diverse industries, fields. Also when, you know, they, their own career kind of path is always varied. If someone had said that to me when I was 16, 17, I would have taken it and I would have gone, okay, But actually to get to this point, the amount of left turns, right turns, crossroads you get to and decisions you make um, are so varied across everybody that we need to be able to provide that advice. That's one thing we can give our kids is experience and a story and advice to go, this is what I did and this is how I got here. And it's very different. They can make up their own minds as to how and where and why they want to do it. But I do think work experience is a really critical thing. it's a difficult thing to be able to deliver and give to all children at a certain age because you know there aren't enough employers to be able to facilitate it.
1: You're right about the opportunities and the timing I think what we've done here is just think a little bit differently about when that work experience takes place so we actually have three spots for work experience now in year 11 once they finish their GCSEs we just say to them look get at least one week's work done now in normal times that basically means they've got most of June when their GCSEs are finished, when everyone else is in school, and there isn't that pressure around employers and having too many people doing that. But we also have, we're fortunate to have a two-week October half term. So we say to our lower six students, one of those two weeks needs to be work experience. And because we've moved, as most schools have moved away from AS exams in lower six, have five straight terms in preparation for A-level, we also get a week done at the end of lower six as well, at the end of that summer term. And it kind of goes to what I said about if you had your heart set on a career and you do your work experience in year 11 and it's absolutely not what you want to do, you've got two more opportunities to try different careers. If you're looking at medicine or veterinary studies and work experience is so important to those applications... You've got three opportunities to get different experiences in different locations. Take the veterinary example with different sizes of animals and different over those three blocks. And I think it's important to not just say to the students, look, it's limited to those three weeks that we've said you need to do. But there are opportunities over holidays to use time constructively and and be creative. But actually having parents and former pupils who are able to do that and maybe even help offer that work experience is, as you say, a network that is on your doorstep. You already have it
0: they buy into what the school is about and they want to go that extra mile to ensure that the kids get that same opportunity. So it's fantastic to hear your work experience and what you're providing for your students. It sounds great. Um, I want to talk about high performance learning. This is a new initiative aiming for a world-class award in two years. Tell me more about HPL and why is this good for St Edwards and other schools like yours?
1: Yeah, so I had the privilege a number of years ago of listening to Professor Deborah Ayers about high-performance learning, it stuck with me. In essence, and she'll probably not appreciate me summing it up in this way, the rationale, the ethos behind it is essentially removing any artificial limits to the levels of attainment for every student. And so an age-old tale within schools is the issue of teaching groups and sets. I take the view, I know it's not shared with everyone, that actually I don't think we should set, don't think we should have teaching groups based on ability. And my rationale on that is that if you're an A star or a nine or an eight grade student, you're not suddenly going to go down if you're sat next to a C grade or a five or six grade student. But if you're talking and explaining what you're doing to them because they haven't understood it, your own level of understanding is getting deeper. But you might bring their C up to a B or their B up to an A. It is a challenge. Listen, it's really difficult. But I think schools like St. Edward's, where we say we treat everyone as an individual, where we say we want them to be the best them that they can be, I think it's really important that they genuinely believe that they can be a success You know, I don't want anyone leaving St. Edwards at 18 feeling like they are not a success. I want them to feel happy. I don't want them to think, God, I didn't get three straight A's and therefore it's cost St. Edwards 100 places in the league table because I don't care about league tables. And actually the parents at St. Edwards don't care because they choose us and schools like us because we know their children will be treated as individuals. And the problem with league tables, and listen, I know I can say this because we do well, So it's easy for me to say that. But the problem with league tables is that you lose those individual stories of success. You're judged purely on those top grades. And listen, we're lucky. We do really well with our results. So I'm not taking that for granted. That's not every student at St. Edwards. Not every student is going to be a straight A star, go to Oxford and Cambridge or Russell Group University. And that's right. And that's good. Because I want to school with different people with different interests. The rationale behind high performance learning is that that needs to kind of permeate every aspect of school life. So on the sports field, you know, are you the best captain for your rugby team, for your hockey team, for your tennis team? on stage, you know, are you evaluating your performance once you've, you know, Chicago was our production last year. You know, were the leads thinking, right, that night was better than that night. What was the difference? What made me even better with regards to that? With our CCF, had the privilege of giving promotions out last week to our CCF. Outstanding young men and women who have done that, but they've had to reflect upon where they are. But they are performing at the highest level for them. And, you know, success in terms of our students is relative to the individual. There isn't a fixed mold of a St. Edward's student. And I would not ever want to say there is a fixed mold because actually they should be themselves. They should be able to be the individuals that they are, progress and mature at a rate that's appropriate for them. But you know, our ethics club is a brilliant example. You know, There's, a, there's three year nines who love making their models. So one of our history teachers has put on an fix club for them this term. Isn't that fantastic? They love that. They're performing at it. They're doing great. That's where we are, I hope, with high performance learning. It's saying here's something for you as parents to say, look, this is more evidence to say we are what we say we are. We want your children to be individuals, to be a success. And here's something for you to hold us to account. It's a great
0: model. It is a great model. Yeah. And I've, I've seen Deborah speak, also had the pleasure of going to lots of high performance learning schools and spoke to other leaders who have been doing this for years. So I do think it's a great model. And I can't wait to see that work. And I'm sure you'll, you'll hit the award that you need to hit within the next two years. Airfix, love Airfix. I remember going to a school and <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny, it comes back to school stories and your authenticity. And that's actually makes you so different than everyone else. It's these things that are happening. We've talked a lot about kind of the school story, the voice and, you know, raising your messaging. How important do you think marketing is from a leadership point of view within a school? Is this something that all school leaders should actively take part in? Or should that just be delegated off to a marketing
1: team? The quick and honest answer to that question, Simon, is that actually everybody within the school is part of the marketing team cleaning staff, catering staff, the office staff, teachers, the leaders everybody is part of that marketing team. And I think it's it's a mistake to delegate it to your marketing team if you've got a marketing director or, or your admissions team and just think they're doing that and that's it. Because we can all talk great talks on open mornings about our aims, our vision, what, what we are for a school. But actually on a day-to-day basis, it's the teachers who deliver that. And it's the parents, the students who are in your school at the moment who will be deciding whether or not you are delivering on what you say you are. And actually the most powerful tool from a marketing point of view view is still word of mouth and actually from that point of view what's important is making sure your parents have the right messages because they're the ones on a well not at the moment but on a friday night having their dinner parties with their friends and discussing what their children have done during the week the opportunities that they've had the initiatives that have been brought in so marketing is absolutely key to my role as it is key to everybody who is in a school
0: So everybody's got to own their story and, you know, everyone's passionate about what they do. You know, you've already shared all the stories already about how your staff are stepping up, how the students are excelling, the parents are committed. You know, they are the perfect ingredients to a very successful school. And I would really look forward to seeing how St. Edward's develops and grows under your leadership. You've had a real kind of baptism of fire. You're still smiling. You're still optimistic, which, which is a great sign of leadership. Matthew thanks ever so much for taking the time out today it's been really illuminating I think you've got some great advice in there and I can't wait to share this with our team
1: not at all an absolute pleasure as always to talk with you and thanks for the opportunity
0: you can connect with me on Twitter Instagram and via LinkedIn remember keep inspiring schools we need more future school thinking now